and welcome to Christ Community Church this morning. You may notice there are a few things different. I have company up here this morning. Much better looking than me. And uh, we have some new decorations. Uh, the high school group this morning is going to uh, inform us a little bit of what they've been doing over the last two or three months. And uh, so we will enjoy hearing from them in a little bit. Uh, but let me pray to get us started, and then we will uh, enjoy some time of uh, hearing from God's Word, uh, as well as uh, singing and worshiping our Heavenly Father. So pray with me, please. Father, we rejoice in your goodness. Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son. We come into your presence this morning only because you gave your Son... He gave His life on the cross that we might have life and have it abundantly. So it is because of what He has done that we come into Your presence this morning confidently and joyfully and thankfully. God, we love You and we we praise You for who You are, for Your holiness and for Your love, for Your justice and for Your mercy, for Your grace. God, I pray that as we hear from Your Word that You would strengthen our hearts that you would encourage us, that you would uh, inform our minds. Uh, and God, through your Spirit, I pray that you would uh, change our wills, that we would seek to be more like you in all that we say and do. So God, we look forward to this time, and we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Um, so for the past five months, our CCC youth group has been doing a study on Jonah um, with Chad and Aaron. And... Um, the way we went about it was to, um, we read all four chapters, and then we just come up with as many questions as we could. And some of these questions are on the walls, as you can see. And um, so we we asked some people in Conahita Park and in the gas station over there, some just random strangers, um, what they know about Jonah. And this is a video of what happened. What can you tell me about Jonah? He said to Nineveh, and instead of going, he decided to get somewhere else. He was swallowed by a well and stayed in the belly for three days. And then he learned a good lesson about obedience. Jonah in the well? Yes. Can you tell me anything about him? Well, he was uh, in the Bible, and he was swallowed up by the whale and um, regurgitated and <laughs> Jonah! Yeah, didn't God tell him to go to Nineveh and he, whale. Uh, he disobeyed? Yeah. <laughs> oh, the whale spit him out. He didn't want to go to the Ninevites. Yeah. And uh, so he ran away and there's a storm he got eaten by the whale and he got spit up on the beach. He spit up on the beach and well, so the story goes, uh, he did something the God didn't like, and so God tossed him to the wells, yeah. pretty much. Um, well, he's in there three days, and I guess the whale got an upset stomach, so he threw up. <laughs> uh, he was a prophet from God. Then God told him to go to Nineveh. He didn't want to go, so he stayed on the ship to Tarsus. And then he got eaten by a whale during a storm. And then he finally went to. What happened to him? 
It's been debated my whole life whether it's a symbolism or if it's a real story. You know, uh, if you look at it from scientific, it could not happen, but a lot of things in the Bible did happen that were not scientific. What do you think the lessons we learned is when God calls you something to do, you better do it? The first time? When he asked you? Um, so the way we studied was to, we read the four chapters, and we just asked as many questions as we could, and then each week we'd go home with just probably one question, and then we'd do as much studying as we can, and then every Wednesday we'd come together and share information, and that's when I could kind of see the puzzle pieces coming together. So, um, as we studied, we used a lot of different resources to answer our questions. We used a concordance when we wanted to look up a word and see where else it appeared in the Bible. And we used a Bible dictionary when we wanted to look up cultural or geographical terms. And finally, we used um, a website called Biblos. Um, And we went there, like, if we wanted to cross-reference some words or look at the words in the original languages. Um... And all these resources were really easy to get and use and very helpful as we studied. So, um, as you can see on the walls are some questions that we had. I'm going to read chapter 1, and as I read it, I'd just like for you all to come up with some questions that are different. Um, We got some on the ceiling, too, if you want to look at those. Chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because it is wic- its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own god, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below the deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your god. Maybe we will not. Maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? 
from what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, What should we do to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried to the Lord, O Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man for you. O Lord, have done as you have pleased. Then they took Jonah, and they threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. So I need about two or three questions from the audience. If you could just raise your hands if you got any questions. Um, because some people believe that a whale couldn't travel so far. Like, different animals can travel different uh, lengths. And some say it was a big shark, like a white shark. But um, we're not real sure about that. So, Blair, did you have one? Um, Jenna's going to answer that in chapter 2, I think. So, I think we got to go now. So, <laughs> Meg's gonna, Meg and Grant are going to answer some questions that they had. So, I'll turn it over to Meg. Okay, so what interested me was who the author of Jonah was. Um, and according to Jewish tradition, oh, I, I researched on Bible.org and CenterBibleInstitute.com and Bilbos.com. Um, but what I found out is that the author of Jonah is unknown. But according to Jewish tradition, Jonah himself is the author. Um, and that also has to do a little bit um, of who Jonah was before all of this. And Second King, we know that he lived during the reign of Jeroboam II. But um, Second Kings, which was in the 8th century. But Second Kings 14... 25 does make a reference to Jonah. It says, he, referring to Jeroboam II, was the one who restored the boundaries of Israel from Labo Hamath to the Sea of Arabah. In accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of, the, the God of Israel spoken through his servant Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet from gath Hefer. So we know that um, Jonah was a prophet, but some people also believe that Jonah was the author because um, all throughout the book, um, it, it goes into depth, especially in the second chapter in Jonah's prayer. It goes into depth of his thoughts and what he said. So it would have been hard for someone to relay that information unless it was someone very, very close to Jonah or it was Jonah himself. Um, also, the main character of the book is Jonah. So, um, But there's been some rebuttals to the theory that Jonah was the author because the book was written in third person. And... Um, and, oh, it also sheds a poor light on who Jonah is. And judging from his character in the book, that doesn't seem like something Jonah would do. So we can conclude that we just kind of don't know who the author of Jonah is. See, I did the question, is Jonah uh, literal or figurative? So I'm going to make a couple of points, a couple of points to prove or question the literal 
um, validity. Uh, the first one is Jonah was a historical character, as Meg just said. Um, in Second Kings, he is mentioned. Um, uh, the second point: the book was written as a historical narrative, so it was real. It may have been um, changed, or like a, a historical narrative is a um, it is a real story. It's passed down for generations. So it's a historical in that sense. Uh, the third point, uh, the tradition of the Jews and Christians is the that the book is real. Um, and the fourth, the most important point, is Jesus testified to the book's um, his, historic, historicity um, in Matthew twelve forty and 41. I'll read that. Um, for Jonah, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of the Nineveh will stand up with this generation at the judgment. It will condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. And then Luke eleven twenty nine and 30. As the crowds were increasing, he began to say, This generation is a wicked generation. It seeks for a sign, and yet no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah. For just as Jonah became a sign of the Ninevites, so will the Son of Man be this generation. And if you... If you... Um, you're, you have to believe Christ to... Um, Basically, you have to believe in Christ to believe in Jonah, or if you don't believe in Jonah, then you don't believe in Christ, because then you would be saying Jonah, I mean, Christ is a liar, um, because because Christ was, um, or making reference to Jonah, then he was obviously, obviously a historical or person. He's real. So I would say that Jonah is literal or real. Right. I'm, uh, we're going to read through chapter 2. Um, and uh, just one thing maybe to take note of in chapter 2 is look at Jonah's language in this prayer compared to his language throughout the rest of the book and how, uh, how he behaves and acts. You can see if it's in accordance with chapter 2 or not. That's just kind of on your own. So here we go. Chapter 2. Uh, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed me up forever. Yet you brought me, you brought up my life from the pit. O Lord my God, 
When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to me in your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. All right. And Jen is going to put a couple thoughts to Blair's question. Okay. <clears throat> so during our study of Jonah, we wanted to know where all the places were, like Joppa, Tarshish, and Nineveh, actually were in relation to each other and what Jonah's journey looked like. Um, Aaron did an awesome map for us that helped to answer those questions. Um, you can see sort of Joppa down at the bottom corner um, of the sea. Um, and when God spoke to Jonah, that's where he went, and he got on a boat that was going to Tarshish, which was 2,300 miles away. And it was pretty clear that Jonah didn't just not want to go to Nineveh. He wanted to get as far away as possible. Um, but somewhere along the way, he got swallowed by the fish, and then three days later, he was spit up onto dry land. Um, assuming that God called Jonah to Nineveh the second time, immediately after that, he was probably between 500 and 550 miles away from Nineveh. If you use the 550 miles, um, if Jonah walked like at about 3 miles per hour for 8 hours per day, it would have taken him like 23 days to get there. Um, and even if he, I don't know, rented a camel or something... <laughs> And only did the 500 miles. Uh, it was still a considerably long journey, and that was really interesting to me because I'd always assumed that it was just like a couple of days if he didn't like get spit out of the fish immediately there. So that was interesting. Reading Jonah 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. On the first day, Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed, 40 days until Nineveh will be overturned. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. Um, when the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from the, his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. Then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles. Do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Don't let them eat or drink, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent with compassion toward his turn with compassion, turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw that we, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, God had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. Okay, so my question was, why did they make the animals and all people wear sackcloth and fast? Um, I actually researched it and found out that the reason they put on sackcloth and ashes was for repentance and to humble themselves. And so I kind of went in a little bit more depth and found a lot of verses in First and Second Kings, a little too many for me. So um, I got a couple things with me, and I might need one or two volunteers. So, Blair, put on some sackcloth. And if I don't get another one, I'm going to start picking, so... Or I might let Blair pick. So, actually, it looks pretty good on y'all. 
This fits you. Yeah, sorry, I couldn't bring any ashes or dust with me because, I mean, I'd have to stay here all day cleaning up, so sorry. I would have, so. But um, it was kind of weird for me because I went to research it, and I wore it for a little bit, and I was like, this would kind of make me feel a little humbled. I was like, it's rough. It feels weird on your skin. It's just, it's weird, so. Why did Nineveh repent so quickly? And um, I'm visual, so I have here um, a timeline of Jonah, of Jonah's time period. It was between eight, 785 B.C. and 755. They don't know exactly when Jonah was. They think more it was toward the end, and I'll give you some examples why they think that. Um, but let me give you a history about Nineveh and their reputation, because this might make you more sympathetic to why Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. Um, we'll go back a hundred years earlier in Assyrian history, and Nineveh is the capital of Assyria. So, um, in 884 BC, there was a king. His name is Asher Nasser Paul II, and you wanted to be his friend because this is some of the things he did to his enemies. And I'll let you read them. <laughs> he was very brutal. In the um, 25 years after him, there was a king, and his name was Shalmanassar III, and these are the things that he did. So you can kind of see why Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh. Um, here are some other quotes about Nineveh. Um, they were a city of blood. Nahum says that. They were a city with endless cru cruelty. And it was the cruelest, the vilest, the most powerful, most idolatrous empire in the world. So um, back to my question, why did an empire that was so cruel like this quickly turn their ways and repent? Three things happened in Nineveh within six years. The first thing was in 765 B.C. they had a plague. In 763, there was a total solar eclipse, which um, I was thinking might be interesting if they had a god, if they worshipped the sun god or something that might have put some fear into the Ninevites. And in 759, there was another plague. So very soon after that was the time that Jonah came to Nineveh, is what they think. And um, that kind of sees that God might have been preparing the hearts of the Ninevites so that when Jonah showed up, they were ready to accept his message. I'm going to read chapter 4. But it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God slow to anger and abundant in love, loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. The Lord said, Do you have good reason to be angry? Then Jonah went out from the city and sat east of it. There he made a shelter for himself and sat under it in the shade until he could see what would happen to the city. So the Lord God appointed a plant, and it grew up over Jonah to be a shade over his head to deliver him from his discomfort. And Jonah was extremely happy, happy about the plant. But God appointed a worm when 
dawn came the next day, and it attacked the plant, and it withered. When the sun came up, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on Jonah's head, so that he became faint and begged with all his soul to die, saying, Death is better to me than life. And God said to Jonah, Do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? And he said, I have good reason to be angry even to death. Then the Lord said, You have had compassion on the plant for which you did not work and which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between the right and left hand as well as many animals? Chapter 4 is uh, man, it's an amazing chapter. And um, I've been reading it and just kind of as we've been studying and going through. And it wasn't really until chapter 4 in our study that um, some light started going off and our hearts started, started to be penetrated a little deeper. And um, so my question is, was the uh, God of the Old Testament compassionate? And people that are outsiders that aren't believers look in and they look at this um, God of the Old Testament and have problems. And even Christians... Um, have a, a lot of times have problems kind of understanding why what, what happened why was there a god that this happened in this time frame and then now this happens in this time frame so um we're gonna put a couple thoughts to that uh richard dawkins a lot of uh if you've been in middle school or high school watching the like youth truth project video he's been quoted a couple times um but this is what he said he says in his book god delusion the god and um I'm going to try to pronounce some of these words, but the God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all of fiction, jealous and proud of it, a petty, unjust, unforgiving control freak, a vindictive, bloodthirsty ethnic cleanser, a misogynistic, homophobic, racist, infanticidal, genocidal, philicidal, pestilential, megalomaniacal, sadomasochistic, capriciously malevolent bully. And um, for some of these big words, you guys probably all, all know what they mean, but I had to look them up. So, um, but um, like some of these just mean, you know, the deliberate and systematic destruction in whole or part of an ethnic, racial, religious, or national group, receiving pleasure from acts involving the infliction of pain, the act of killing an infant, um, a person who kills his or her own son or daughter. And so you can see where he has this idea of this God, but he, he doesn't, he doesn't see the full picture. And, um, and so, and I think this is, I mean, this is an extreme case, but there's a lot of people that kind of have this subtle idea. And so, um, so let's look at this chapter because it's, it's really, really amazing. Um, Isaiah 36, this is, this, this would be kind of an example of what I'm talking about, um, is a lot of people have a problem with a God who in one night kills 185,000 Assyrians. And um, that passage out of Isaiah 36 is, would be one example why people would say things like uh, Richard Dawkins did there. Um, but then if you skip over a little bit in Isaiah 60, um, that was in Isaiah 36. In Isaiah 60, um, God says this, For in my wrath I struck you, and in my favor I had compassion on you. And so people see this and say, okay, well, he had compassion, but he just had compassion. That means he didn't slaughter him. And that's the extent of the compassion. Um, but this chapter here speaks a lot deeper than that. Um, 
Let's read those first couple verses again. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said you when I was yet in my country? I knew this was going to happen. I knew that these people were going to turn back to you. And you can kind of feel the sense in the tone of which he's saying this. You know, that is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew what? He knew what about God? You are a gracious God. You are merciful. You are slow to anger. You are abounding in steadfast love. You are relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life. Okay, because you are this, I'm angry. Take my life. For it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Is this anger working out for you? And so you can see the root of Jonah's anger stems from a loving compassionate, merciful God abounding in steadfast love. And um, so we see that right after this, um, in verse 6, God appoints a plant. And he appoints a plant for what reason? To save him from his discomfort. Poor little Jonah. You know, and I'm like, poor little Jonah. But God cared about poor little Jonah. He sent a plant to save him from his discomfort. And... um, What is Jonah? He is in verse 6. Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. Okay, so Meg put Jonah like this. She said, he is such a drama queen. And um, because right here he's going, he's exceedingly glad because of the plant. Verse 1 in chapter 4, he is exceedingly angry. So he's exceedingly angry about this whole nation having a revival and turning to God. And God, okay, who sees these people and says, I desire for them to know me that do all those horrible things that were listed out. I desire for them to know Yahweh and to know my love. And I'm going to do whatever it takes for them to know about my compassion. This makes Jonah exceedingly angry. He's exceedingly glad over a plant that's given him shade in the heat. And so we can see his perspective is off. Jonah's not seeing things through the right pair of lenses. And um, so this is where we've been at. And up till now in this whole chapter, we've been like, what an idiot. Like, why is he not seeing things straight? And then right at the end of this book, the book ends abruptly. And we, one of the other, other questions we dove into is why is this book just seem to like it's lost or it just ends right here or is it a, an odd ending at first. But right here, this whole study took a whole big twist. And this is kind of what happened is uh, in verse nine, um, God, again, he says, um, you know, how's this anger working out for you? Is, is this is this is this a good thing? Um, <clears throat> and let's read those last couple verses of this book again. Ch- uh, verse 10. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and it perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 people who do not know their right hand from their left hand, and also much cattle? Okay, so God essentially is saying this. All right, Jonah, um, you pity this dead plant, okay? What about the people? Would you pity these people, 120,000 people, who don't know their right from their left? Spiritually, they are blind. They don't know truth. They don't know right from wrong, up from down. Would you, what about these people? And it's kind of, I would almost see it like a conversation and Jonah didn't respond. And so God goes, the cattle? Would you pity the cattle? How about that? Like, 
And God is trying to get Jonah's perspective right. He's questioning Jonah. Jonah, what is going on? Where have you, where have you lost me? And we, we kind of talked about all this um, in conversation and going, uh, was Jonah ever, was his perspective really ever right in this whole story? And we see chapter 2, and he's praying, and he's saying these things, and he's singing in the belly of the fish, and it seems like everything, like he's turning to praise God. But this is like the only little glimpse of this happening. And, um, it, and, but when we kind of see his heart throughout the whole book, the conclusion we came to is that really his heart was never there. His heart was never right. And a couple um, students made some suggestions. You know, I wonder if he, uh, if Jonah wrote this book and he ended it right here and years later he wrote it and he was like, people need to see this. And he ends it right here, leaving it almost a question to us pointing back to us as if God's asking us this question. And, um, you know, the question would almost essentially be this, what's your vine? You know, and we talked about, you know, some ideas of like, what would, what would my vine be? What would be the thing that my perspective would be off? And I would be, you know, exceedingly glad over this shade plant and exceedingly angry over something important. And my perspective is all off. There's these little things in life that kind of pop up day to day and we get emotional about it. We get upset, worked up or something. And God's like, man, I wish you would get emotional and you'd get worked up about the sin in your own life or about this thing, which is something that's really of importance because these other things, they don't matter. And our perspective is off. So that's the question we were asking each other. And that's the question that we as a group want to ask you. And um, are still asking ourselves and want to daily evaluate. Um, so let's read. Uh, we've been going through Colossians. So let's read uh, first three verses of Colossians 3. And then we're going to give you a few minutes to kind of ponder this thought. If then you have been raised with Christ, seeking the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on things that are above. If Jonah had done that, if he had done that, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So we're going to play a song, and the song um, essentially just talks about um, needing Christ to pilot me, to pilot my life, to direct me, and not trying to pilot it on my own like Jonah was doing. I mean, obviously, you can see the map. He's headed way over there, and he needs to be heading way over here. And he's not letting God direct him physically in his journey and emotionally and spiritually in what's going on. So um, uh, so we're going to play this song and just give you just a couple minutes. The words are going to be up here. Just kind of reflect, and then we're going um, to worship together.